in Acts chapter 9, I've just simply titled this lesson this week, Amazing Grace. Because we're going to read about a man named Saul. That was his Hebrew name. Last week we talked about uh, how persecution opens doors for the gospel to spread. Sometimes God uses persecution to cause us to move from our comfort level to maybe go talk to someone that needs to hear about Jesus or something like that. So we finished that last week in chapter 8. So in today in cha uh, Acts chapter 9, and I'm just going to say we're going to read a story about God's amazing grace to humanity and to a man who definitely did not deserve it. But before we read, let's just pray this morning over the word that we're going to receive, that our hearts and minds will be open, and for the Lord to give us the ability to expound on His word. Amen. Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name. We thank you, Lord, for your presence with us. We thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. We thank you, Lord, now for this awesome privilege to be able to speak your word. Help us today, Lord, to give your people the words which you want us to give today through the scriptures, God. Hallelujah. And we pray, Lord, for each and every person who hears today that our hearts and minds will be open and we may receive this word which you've given for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we finished off a couple weeks ago. We, we, we learned about a man named Saul. Uh, who was a Jew of Jews, right? He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he uh, was holding the, the clothing of Stephen while he was being stoned. And this guy, he had even gotten more involved than that. He, he wanted to stop Christianity in his tracks, okay? Anything that worked against the law of Moses, he was against. So he's going to put an end to Christianity, and so he was working to that end. And today we're going to see that he continued on for quite a while, even after Stephen's stoning to death, uh, but then he has an experience and he has an encounter that will change his life forever. Amen. So that's where we're going to pick the story up. That's who we're talking about here in verse 1 of chapter 9. So it says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, and it's simply when it says the way in a lot of the more current Bibles, it says... Uh, the way meant those is following the way of Christianity or the way of Jesus, okay? So if he found any people who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He was going to take them back to the Sanhedrin where the chief priest and the high priest and everybody was at the temple and they were going to be put on trial just like Jesus and the others were who, who dared rebel against uh, what they considered the law of God, which was the law of Moses at that time. I want you to notice a couple things. He says here that it's still breathing threats and murder. Saul is still fully committed to stopping Christianity in his tracks. Notice he's a man who loves God, loves the law of Moses, loves his denomination. He tells us later on that I was so proud to be a Pharisee. I had spent a lot of time and energy to be the best Pharisee I could be. So he was proud of his denomination. But he hates people. People were getting healed, delivered, and set free and all these things, but yet he was just like the rest of those Pharisees. He couldn't stand that. He hated that for some reason. It's very possible for people to love God or claim they love God, love their denomination, love this, love that, but all the while be working against people. God's in the people business. God loves people. That's why He sent Jesus. You and I were no different. So at this point, he's still willing to have people arrested, brought before the Sanhedrin, put in prison, and even put to death because they believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Son of God. That's what really hung the Pharisees up was the fact that Jesus proclaimed himself the Son of the living God. And so when they claimed that, 
They said, well, no, they, they, he can't claim that, so we've got to work against it. We've got to put a stop. Now, I'll just ask you this question. This is strictly hypothetical. If you were God, would you have mercy on such a person as this? I'll be the first to answer no. Double no. Throw him out. Give him the same treatment he's given it. That's what I would do, right? But we're going to see God is going to demonstrate what he asked us to do as his followers when Jesus preached in the Sermon on the Mount to show love even to your enemies. Now, was Saul an enemy of Christianity? Absolutely he was. Putting people in jail, dragging them out of their houses, even committing them to be put to death if they wouldn't renounce that Jesus was the Son of God. So would you, would you show mercy to a guy if you were in God's shoes? None of us would. We might as well just be honest, right? Let's take a look at the next few verses. As he journeyed, so now he's on a mission, right? He's going now to Damascus. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads, or some Bibles say against the pricks. So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to, to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Now when it says to kick against the pricks or kick against the goad, a goad was a tool that uh, farmers used to, to cause animals to go where they wanted them. It was, had sharp points on it and things like that. And so the person holding the goad was in control. And when the animal wasn't doing what it wanted to, what the, the, the shepherd or whatever wanted it to do, they would just goad it along with the sharp point a little bit and get their attention, right? So Jesus now here appears to uh, Saul and says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. Why? Because God was in control. Jesus was in control, and he knew exactly what he was doing and how he wanted to do it. And he realized and was letting Saul know, you're working against God. And it's not going to work. That's a hard thing to do. It's still true today. Anybody who works against God, they fail. That's an act of futility. When you work against God, it will never pass. It will never come to pass. never work. Notice this. Saul understood that he was in the presence of something or someone supernatural. He refers to this person as Lord. He asked the question, who are you, Lord? He knew there was something greater than him he had just encountered. Now think about his mindset at this point. He's going down to Damascus and he's going to round up some more of these sorry Christians and take them back to Jerusalem. Now he encounters this. And he hears a voice say, why are you persecuting me? Talk about a humbling experience, right? That's why we call it getting knocked off our high horse. That's where that phrase comes from. With this story right here. He was ready to go and do the deed. Now something's changing, isn't it? Saul's life would never be the same after this encounter. It turns out that Jesus, the risen Christ, paid a personal visit to a man with a darkened heart. You know the fellow that wrote that song we just sang was a very similar guy to Saul here we're talking about? He was in the slave trading business. He ran a ship. They hauled slaves back and forward and took them to wherever people had bought them. And all of a sudden, the gospel got a hold of him, and he realized what a wretch he really was. 
And when you read that backstory, and then you read the words he wrote, he understood that God had showed him mercy. I once was blind, but now I see. He couldn't believe that God had forgiven him. That's why he wrote this song. It's amazing grace. So this encounter with Jesus changed Saul forever. The same is true for you and I. Once you encounter Jesus, you've never been the same. I encountered him as a young, young boy, about 12 years old. I've never been the same since. I haven't always done right. I haven't always lived up to that standard that he set for us. But I can tell you right now, I've never been the same. I still sometimes reflect back to that day. I remember when he saved me. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? Amen? That's why God's mercy and forgiveness is truly amazing. Saul was totally unworthy in the eyes of man, yet God saved him anyways. God had a plan for his life. And like I, we all just kind of testified together, we wouldn't have picked him, would we? He's the last guy we would pick. There may be people that you're friends with, family members. They may have done so much stuff that you think there's no way they'll ever get saved and go to heaven. Don't be surprised if that's the one that will show up one day and say, guess what happened to me? Because <laughs> they may have an encounter with Jesus. Amen. Let's look at these next few verses. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he may receive his sight. This encounter with Jesus had completely blinded Paul's or Saul's natural eyes. He was three days completely blind. Even though his eyes were open, he couldn't see anything. Think about how scary that was for three days. You hear this voice, this great light shines around. You hear this voice, why are you persecuting against me? My name is Jesus. And all of a sudden, when you go to open your eyes again, you can't see. And for three days, he was so distraught, he didn't eat or drink or nothing. And pretty much all he was doing was just praying. Right? Interesting. The Lord's ways are not man's ways. This whole encounter played out exactly according to God's perfect plan. Have you ever thought about just kind of remove yourself from the moment and step back and look and see how God must see things? He looks and sees Saul. He's got this plan. He's got everybody behind him. He's got helpers. He's going to do more of what he's been doing. And the Lord says, okay, now's the moment. And I'm going to interject and change him. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Look at verse 13. This is a natural response to someone who's been evil for quite a while working against you, isn't it? Uh, Ananias is not too thrilled to have to go talk to this guy. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. 
He's arguing with the Lord, ain't he? Just a little bit. I would have too. Somebody like that? Now you want me to go in there and, and be nice to him and talk to him? What happens if he rounds me up? Takes me off. Right? You'd have to wonder. <clears throat> so he's, he's having a, let's say he's having a discussion with the Lord. <clears throat> the Lord tells him to go do this, and he said, well, nah, Lord, I don't know about this. We've all been there, have we not? There's been times in our life when we know, maybe it wasn't like a direct voice we heard, but we know when the Lord's trying to get our attention, and we kind of go, nah, I don't want to do that. And then all of a sudden it just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. So just don't argue with the Lord. Whatever He tells us to do, go ahead and do it. That's the most important thing, isn't it? Amen. Verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has come as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. You know, verses 13 and 14 show us how people sometimes are reluctant to believe somebody's been saved. I'd have been hard to believe that he'd got, really gotten saved. You mean the guy who was working against Christians, saying that they were blasphemous and he's been putting them to death and putting them in prison and all that, now all of a sudden you're telling me he's a believer? I'd be reluctant too. You and I are reluctant sometimes when we know somebody that's way out there doing their thing and they don't want anything to do with God or church, and then we hear they got saved, what's our first thought? I don't know about that. They're going to have to prove it to me, right? Well, in some cases they do. But it's a natural impulse to be a little skeptical when somebody flip-flops that dramatic, right? To go from one extreme to all of a sudden now believing in Christ. Amen? The important thing is for us to obey the Lord. I want you to notice something too. And I just added this in the notes just a few minutes ago. Verse 17, look how it's worded. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Receiving his natural sight was the most minimal thing that happened that day. But when it says he would be filled with the Holy Spirit, that was the most important thing that was going to happen to Paul, Saul in his life. Now that's not what a lot of people have made it out to be, about running around and jumping and carrying on and having a big time and all that stuff. What does it mean to truly be filled with the Holy Spirit? What have we been talking about? That's what it truly means to be saved. I want you to think about this. Saul was full. Think about the word full. He was full of envy, hatred, indifference, and jealousy all in the guise of loving God. There are people who think that they love God and will tell you that they love God and brag about how much they do for God, yet they'll be just like Saul was and hate people and be working against God because they don't have love, mercy, and forgiveness in their hearts. That's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. Amen? 
to be filled with God's love, mercy, and forgiveness. Because that's what Jesus showed him here, wasn't it? So when it says to be filled with the Holy Spirit, I truly believe that's what he was talking about. Now he would be filled with the love, mercy, and forgiveness in the true love of God. A lot of people tell me they love God, but you learn real quick, no, you're just you're using that as a guise. You need to be filled with God's goodness. Amen? Amen. Take a look at verse 20. Immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues, that He is the Son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, Is this not He who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that He might bring them bound to the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Man, what a change. 180 degrees difference. He was going this way, and God turned him around, and now he's a believer. And he would go on, and most of us know this, but I'll share it with you. He would go on and start being referred to as Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote pretty much the whole New Testament after the Gospels. Epistle after epistle, things of wisdom that God gave him and planted churches and took, it, took the Gospel to the Gentiles and on and on and on. You see what God can do when he saved one person. Isn't that amazing? We're still reading the words God gave him to write down, even to this day. They're being preserved. Amen? I think it's interesting how immediately it says in verse 20, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. He knew all the reasons why he believed that he wasn't, because that's why he was tracking people down. Once God got a hold of him, he realized, wait a minute, now I truly see. Now I truly see what the scriptures were talking about in the Old Testament and, and bringing us into this day. Verse 23. Now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Isn't it interesting? Now the people that are after him are just like he used to be. <laughs> he kind of defected to the other side. Now they're after him, right? Think about that. It's pretty interesting. that He used to be the guy sitting and waiting, looking for the Christians, finding them wherever he could find them. And so now he's the one hiding from those people, right? Has to be helped out of the city so he doesn't get caught. Very interesting. They consider him no doubt a traitor at this point. Those, those uh, hardcore Jewish people. Verse 26, And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and, and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists or the, the Greek-speaking Jews of that day. But they attempted to kill him. And when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Saul didn't receive the warmest welcome from the church at Jerusalem. But after a little time, the apostles grew to trust him and the enemies of the gospel, however, want Saul now put to death. 
So now he's got a whole new group of enemies. Before his enemies were who? The Christians. Now he's defected and went to their side, so now his enemies are the ones he used to work for. Those hardcore chief priests and high priests and all those things. Very interesting, very interesting. Think about your life for a moment. I hadn't thought about saying this. Had the Lord not saved you, whenever that was, it may have been a long, long time ago, it may have been yesterday, I don't know. Had the Lord not saved you, where would you be today? What would have Paul, Saul's life been had the Lord not saved him? How much damage would he have done? It's hard to tell. Where would you and I be? That's why we talk about and love that song, Amazing Grace. I don't know where I'd be. Might not even be here. It's hard to say. Thank God for His amazing grace. Verse 31 is an interesting verse. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Isn't it interesting how that this one guy getting saved brought so much peace into the church? <laughs> he was the ringleader of all the persecution. He was the one that was really adamant about, give me some papers, give me stuff, I'll go find them where they're at and bring them back. Well, when the Lord saves him, all that kind of just goes away a little bit, doesn't it? Now, we know it would come back a little later and they start being persecuted again. But you see how God went after the very ringleader of those working against the gospel, saved him. Now, all of a sudden, now the churches have a little bit of peace, right? Isn't that interesting? Very interesting. Verses 32 through 35. Now, it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda, and he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden 18 years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwell at Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. I want you to just, I just want to briefly mention this. In, in verse 30, uh, 34, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. You will not find a place in the Bible where the early church or the apostles took any credit for the miracles they did. They did a lot of miracles, but they knew whose power it was. They knew it was the Christ. They knew it was the risen Savior. And there was a purpose in that. Notice it uh, in that last verse, verse 35. This was the reason for this miracle. So all who dwelt at Lydda and Sharon saw him and what? Turned to the Lord. If there's a miracle done in the name of Christ and God has performed some miracle in your life or anybody else's, it's not to bring glory to the person who did the praying or did supposedly did the miracle. I believe in miracles. I believe in the power of prayer. But I believe it's Jesus Christ's power that does the work. Amen. And we cannot take credit for it. There is a reason that God still does miracles and it's for Him to get the glory. Amen. And cause others to say, wow, I need to find out what these people are about. Amen. Amen. And in verses 36 through 43, as we finish this chapter out, there's another miracle done here by Peter. Uh, of course, done through Peter. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. 
And since Lydda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put all put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. God raised a woman from the dead through Peter. Once again demonstrating he has the power over death. And that's our only hope we have, isn't it? We've got loved ones and parents and, and people we love and that have died and been placed in the ground. But one day, if they're a believer in Jesus Christ, we're going to be raised again and go be with him. Amen? Because Jesus has the power of life over death. Amen? So he raised a woman from the dead through Peter. And notice him too. Once again, the miracle had a purpose, and that was for people to believe on the Lord. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. You had an experience, you had an encounter with Jesus at some time in your life. Maybe it was that you saw some miracle that God did for something, somebody else, and you saw that and realized, wow. Maybe it was simply that somebody else got saved and was transformed completely. Some way or another, you, God got your attention. And I'm thankful that He did. Amen. Because His amazing grace has no barriers. Saul was not worthy. We all testified at the beginning, right? We wouldn't. No, nah, not that guy. Anybody but that guy. But that's the one who the Lord chose. Amen. So let's not, let's purpose today as we get ready to close. Don't give up on anybody. Friends, family, co-workers. And I'll guarantee you that if you start today praying for them again, that they're going to get even meaner. I got a fellow that I work with, work for actually. We all decided some of us, we was going to pray for him. and He needed the Lord and stuff. And man, he turned and got worse. So we kind of decided, well, we just need to quit praying for this guy. It wasn't as bad before. But see, that proves there's something real going on. Amen. So don't give up on anybody. God chose Saul. Guy with a pretty darkened heart, right? So let's not give up. Let's enjoy the fact we've been recipients of amazing grace. But let's also pray pray for others to receive it as well. Amen. Let's not look at their conduct and say, well, they're out. They can't accept it. Let's just look through God's eyes. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today once again in Jesus' name. We've delivered the word you've given us. We see, God, this awesome story of conversion, this story of change, this story of a man who, Lord, was nowhere near worthy to receive your grace and mercy, but he did. And we learn so much from that, Lord. We see it even in our own lives. Maybe it wasn't quite to this extreme, but Lord, you loved us. Before we came to you, before we could make things right, you died for us. Before we ever came to you, you offered yourself on the cross of Calvary. So Lord, we give you thanks today for this great, awesome privilege 
to be recipients of the, your amazing grace. Help us, Lord, to purpose for those maybe that we've stopped praying for. Maybe those we've written them off. We've, we've given up on them. Lord, we realize that you don't give up on people quite as quickly as we do. And so help us to be people who want to pray and, and still be encouraged to other people and to show them the goodness and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Lord, I pray that you keep each and every person safe for the next appointed time and watch over them, keep them safe, Lord, and, and, and help them in their life in every way they turn, in every decision, in every part of their life. We ask it today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.